On Sunday is part two of my conversation with Vincent Joplin and Antonio Jones. If you haven't listened to part one, I would encourage you to do so before listening this week. You know, what are, you mentioned, Faustness, you mentioned mentoring Antonio and and, uh, Vincent even threw out the idea of this hypothetical nonprofit and being able to resource it and those things, but, but. Uh, those are, so if we just think through, I think I shared this at our staff meeting last week, but you know, our people weren't, weren't there. If we can imagine kind of a river flowing and, uh, you know, any point you stand at a river, you can go upstream or downstream. Uh, uh, if in this analogy upstream is kind of where the river starts and then everything below that is affected by where it starts, but you can still jump in at certain points. And so if we go upstream, downstream, upstream, I'm thinking this is more institutional, right? With just, we would put a harvest church would be an upstream organization, right? But there are things that flow out and downstream would be something like mentoring, volunteering at an elementary school, right? That's something you can jump in immediately. It's, it's accessible. It's easy. If we just take that idea, you know, a lot of people right now are talking about, you know, systematic, racism, systematic, institutionalized racism, systematic, and, and when somebody says that, I don't want to discredit that, but I do, I like what y'all said, I have a couple of questions, what do you, give me an example of a system, give me an example of an institution, what do you mean by that, yeah, yeah. who's running that, who's in charge of that, how's, like, there are a lot of questions to be asked when somebody says that, so I don't take that at, it's not that I disbelieve it, but I want to ask some more questions so that we're even talking about the same thing. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Ask. That's yeah. right, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I think uh, if we imagine that river, now this gets a little crass, and so I'm not saying you're not. At some point, every analogy breaks down, but let's just say uh, the three of us are camping out by a river, and we just keep seeing kids float by. Right, all our hearts are turned towards kids. You know, all of us got kids sitting at the table. Even our producer extraordinaire here, Joe Nell. Yeah, Joe Nell doesn't want to talk on the. He doesn't want to talk on the podcast, he's, y'all. But he's, he's here. got a house full full of women. <laughs> he's smiling. That's right. That's why he's working late today because he got a house full of women. He's trying to get a breather, <laughs> to hang around with some guys. But hey, let's say we're all camping out. Rose is going to get mad at me later for saying that. <laughs> we love you, Rose. Uh, <laughs> love you, love you, Rose, Shanna, Lauren. <laughs> but we're there and kids jump in. So, so we just start jumping in. We're jumping in. We're grabbing a kid. We're swimming ashore. We're jumping in. We're grabbing the kids, swimming ashore because they're struggling. They can't it's swim. It's a lot of work, too. We're exhausted. So finally, you know, Antonio walks off. <laughs> and we look at Antonio and say, where are you going? There are all these kids. And Antonio says, I'm going I'm going upstream to tackle the person throwing the kids in the river. <laughs> yeah. with, his, with his calm oh, demeanor. That's right. that's right. I'm going upstream to tackle the person throwing yeah, the funny, kids man. in the river. Uh, that's my best Antonio on the fly. <laughs> we still need to stay because kids are still floating by, mm-hmm. but what he's doing makes sense. And so if we can f- use that to frame our conversation, there are some things we can immediately do to just jump in the water. We can help kids learn to read. Literacy is a big deal. Third grade literacy is a big deal. Every statistic bears that out. We can mentor. We can... Volunteer streets, volunteer, man, there's some ways to just immediately jump in the river. The harder question, which this takes thought, it takes access, it takes a lot of planning, or how how do we begin to go upstream a little bit? And both you guys are thoughtful guys, and I know that you've thought through some of this, but but, uh, how would y'all speak into that? What would be, maybe if you say, okay, if I could go upstream, that's the first thing that I would look at. Because I know I would look at education. 
I think there are huge education gaps. And I think the degree to which a person is educated, a lot of their future bears out in that. Uh, so that would be an upstream. Things like Memphis Teacher Residency, that's an upstream organization. They're trying to jump in and tackle something big. Uh, what would y'all say? Or, or any examples or advice or thoughts on what, what you would want to pursue first? You know, I, I would address the vocational aspect of it. Uh, I've learned that um, there are a lot of artsy kids who have trouble in the classroom because they're more <clears throat> uh, technical or the hands-on. The they're creative. They're artisans, if you will. And they don't know what to do with their art when they're forced to have to read everything or whatever some of the classrooms demand of you. Some of these kids are labeled because they have hyper energy when there's just simply a problem athletic and artistic and need to put their energy someplace. <clears throat> I raise up vocation because vocation allows those kids to express themselves and to learn also how to um, create a lifestyle through their giftings uh, that <clears throat> is also educational, mm. uh, but it's it's being a barber. It's, it's uh, being a dancer. It's people who are... Uh, technologically savvy and gifted in those areas and they want to uh, be the best that they can be in areas like that. And so while I most certainly agree with education, I also think that we have to um, provide a platform for kids who work with their hands, you know, mechanics, and, you know, we're still going to need those people and we're going to need those gifts uh, to, to be, you know, operative. And so I think alongside the educated, we need those people who are gifted, you know, sports and all the other things that I've mentioned before. Do you guys think, it's just a straightforward question, do you think that um, less is expected out of uh, African-American kids intellectually or academically uh, as a society? I, I would not want to speak for the whole society. I, I do think that some individuals um, have a kind of like this flippant, uh, they probably can't get it or whatever, but not as an excusing them type thing, just a looking down. Then you have some people that are like, oh, come on, we just got to help little Johnny. You know, he's got to get it. Um, so it depends on who you are, who you're talking to, and then what their upbringing is, things like that. To go back to the education piece, um, vocation is education. Um, it's just It just looks different. But period, I, you know, it would be, what if, what if several private schools in the city who were, who were financially capable were able to invest in some public schools that weren't? That, that's a resource. But then what if some of those teachers were able to learn from the teachers, say, in some urban communities? Man, how do you all, you all do relationship very well. You know, man, we have a lot of technical things that we're doing well. What if we had a relationship and we could learn, we could learn from each other? So we had resources and relationship because both educational both educational institutions offer something. And what if they took the best practices of what they both had and they said, we can come together. So they're not trying to make the public school private and the private school is not trying to make the private school public, you know, but they are trying to figure out how we can make this thing work well to produce the best citizens mm -hmm. in our communities. That you makes got, sense, guys? You got it does. And I think that, uh, you know, it's going back. We went to uh, uh, Du Bois with you back in, mm -hmm. that was over, it feels like a year ago yeah. now. So, so for those who are listening, Du Bois is a school in Whitehaven. 
Uh, it was an old Lanier building. It's now called Freedom Prep off of Elvis Presley. Freedom Prep off Elvis Presley. And I remember when we were there, the principal, and I forget the, I forget the man's name that was the principal there at the time, but you could A, tell his uh, incredible love for his students. You could tell his commitment to wanting to see the best possible education. And you could see the just the cloud hanging over him of going, it almost feels like it's month to month with if his own school will survive or make it. And, and he was even able to talk about, you know, if, if and they this, spent their own money and we spent our own money as a church helping to invest in that school just for people to know. But if the school closed and unfortunately that, that it did, that school closed, mm-hmm. uh, that has to be, now I don't know from experience, but I'm imagining an elementary school kid, a middle school kid, high school kid, where that is their world, and they are getting poured into, and they are getting educated, and it is a, it is not only a safe place, but it is a fun place, it's a loving I'm place, it's a hopeful place, and then it's closed. Can you speak to the, just the detrimental effects of that on a not just a community, but on because because y'all worked with a student. I mean, it's not you know this isn't a hypothetical. We, we mentored in that school. Yeah. So what? How does that affect an individual? Man, it is a self esteem blower. Um, they don't understand what is over. Um, they don't know the bigger picture as far as who administration answers to. So sometimes they can think that they were failed by administration or by the mentors or something like that. Um, just to put it out, there's a guy named. Oh, my God, Emmanuel Bynum. He ended up graduating from that school. He runs track for UT Knoxville now, and he's a beast. Um, so look him up. Um, but produce some great kids. But it, it, it is a self-esteem blower. It, it also hurts the trust of parents who were highly invested in a place. And like, now, where, where do we go now? So then you cause displacement. So then some kids may have to get bused across the city to another school where they mm-hmm. might not have the best relationships. Well, they might be considered the outcast, you know, because they were they were in a school with teachers and staff that knew them. They knew their temperament. Now they have to adjust or readjust. And it also affects a parent who, if there isn't busing, because there really wasn't any busing, so now a parent has to figure out how to transport their child, and they might be late for work or they might have to miss work. So now they lose their job. And now you have something where, oh, they're part of the system. So now they have to try to get resources to feed their family. And they're like, oh, why don't you just go get a job? Well, I used to have a job, but I lost my job because I was trying to take mm-hmm. my son or daughter to another school across town mm-hmm. so they wouldn't be a statistic. <laughs> so you see the pattern? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It, you know, <clears throat> hopelessness as well. You know, when you, when you, all you have is the people you look up to. And when mm-hmm. it's, when it's unexplained what's going on, now you're dealing with that as a kid you're trying to deal with the why. Mm. And when you don't know why, it's like, well, forget it then. You know, why should I continue to try? Mm. Person I love the most, they left. That's what appears that they just left. Oh, yeah, yeah. When the reality is, like you said, there are powers above those who make those decisions. And our hope is that uh, those people would, uh, I think this is a show where, um, where the boss comes to work down with the employees. Undercover boss. Undercover yeah, boss. Yeah, man. Mm. I love that. I think some of those higher-ups where we get so top-heavy in leadership, I think some of those folks need to make it a, a regular 
a move of theirs to go down and see what the kids are experiencing, what is life like for them. Uh, not only does that create empathy, but it helps you to make better decisions for these kids. It helps you to dig within yourself uh, to see what more can you do. And it also gives you the, 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 the daring nature to go after people you wouldn't normally go after and say, I need your help so that this school can survive. I know I wouldn't normally ask you, but I'm asking you now mm. for the sake of the children because of that investment in the power of relationships. And when you form that with kids and they lose that and there's not much explanation, that also leaves hopelessness. And some of those kids who had a great future uh, deals with that hopelessness in a way you don't want them to, mm. they turn, their decisions change, their choices change. And now we Trauma them. does that. Exactly. And so when they turn to who is consistently there, the people who aren't about the right things, uh, that becomes their um, uh, sounding board and resting place. And mm. before you know it, here's another statistic added. And for most people, they just see numbers. When for us, it's heartbreaking because that was a life striving towards greatness and quote unquote, we let them down, if you will, those who are in power. So hopelessness can be something that you really don't want to lose. But when that happens, it's really difficult. And then Vincent is reaching out to that kid and reaching out to their family and trying to mentor them and trying to restore hope. And it makes our jobs that much more tougher uh, to try to mentor kids who are struggling in that area emotionally. Yeah. And then trying to even tell the stories to, say, our brothers and sisters. I mean, we just need people to listen sometimes. But then on the flip side, we want to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Like, tell us what you think, you know? Because people say, my man, we want to listen to you. We want to listen. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I want to hear you now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I want to go back to your stream analogy. Mm-hmm. So you got someone who's throwing these kids in the stream. Again, it's just an analogy viewers mm-hmm. or listeners. And you got someone who is down at the end. So you used to be on camera. Antonio and I, we aren't <laughs> on camera yet. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to filming in front of people, y'all. And, uh, but I think w- where a great partnership could be or is, hey, to the person that's walking upstream, the person that's down there to say, hey, where do you want me to stand? Where do you want me positioned, mm. right? So we can work together. Mm. Man, um, and the person good. that's walking away says, Real hey, good. this is what I'm going to do. This is what I need you to do. Do you think this will work? Then the, the kid that saved or actually pursued is asked, tell me what happened versus assuming what happened. Then when you get to the top for the person who's throwing the kids, before you lock them up, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. What's going on with you? Because you're responding to something. That sounds like strategy. That's that dang right. A plan. Yeah, versus one or two mm-hmm. people saying, I got the answer. This is what we're yeah. going to do. Mm-hmm. But if we all talk about the different pieces that we can't see, mm-hmm. then we can learn something. Empowering people to do what they do best. And I think I'm hearing you say also one man is too small a number to achieve greatness. That's right. Or one woman. We, 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 right. we, we love y'all sisters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tasha's going to beat you when you get home. <laughs> I mean, you too, Tasha. Sorry. <laughs> all of us. That's for sure. And let's say this too, man. I, we love Harvest. Mm-hmm. I'm smiling now with, with the goofy smile. Yeah. There are some <laughs> great people here. But, uh, you know, great people, man, they're great because they're involved. So if you're sitting on a board of a particular organization, man, be connected to the organization that you're sitting on. Well, it, it, you know, the thing, not the thing, a thing that makes what you're talking about so hard, even people coming together, talking, getting a strategy, moving forward, which, by the way, we've only got a few more minutes. I do want to talk as pastors here in a minute. We've been talking kind of as, as men living in a society. I don't want to talk specifically as pastors in a second, but 
you know, there is, I think, a challenge of people to actually think and actually nuance. And you have to be able to do both of those <laughs> to solve any problem, mm-hmm. which means I have to give a little and you got to give a little and we have to come to a place of understanding, which which and and we don't nuance well with politics. We don't nuance well in, in many areas of life. It's an all or nothing. It is either you completely agree with me. And if you don't completely agree with me, it's the whole thing with the tolerance movement. I am you're completely in unless you disagree. That's that's the definition of our tolerance movement. And so uh, we've got to be able to disagree with each other and nuance those things because we do agree on some bigger fundamental things. And unfortunately, we live in a society that says if you disagree, you almost can't even be in friendship. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, sick, I'm sick of it. Yeah, with one another. We may disagree. Oh, the three of us, we sat down, we may disagree on how to even define systematic institutional racism and That's what right. it means. That's okay, because we can all agree racism exists. That's a bigger, more fundamental idea. Uh, how it's played out, we may see some things differently, but we should be able to get along enough and work together enough because the, the greater evil is true. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. And I think... We've got an opportunity right now to help our people, help people at Delivering Word, help people at Harvest to start to, when we hear statements being said, when we hear, you know, uh, uh, big generalizations being made, to force people to, 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 to and I do this all the time if talking to an atheist or an agnostic, let's think through what you just said to its furthest logical conclusion. Let's think. That's right. Slow down. That's nuance it a little on, bit. And I think that that opportunity is available to us, and I think it's important if we're going to move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great, man. One thing, so there are several core values that Harvest has. Um, they are on the wall. Um, they are lived out uniquely uh, in unique ways by every member. Mm-hmm. They don't look the same. But the importance is living out every core value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that we need to force people this is when you become abusive, when you force people to live that out the way it looks in your household. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Man. Just live out those core values, mm-hmm. and let's, let's, let's make big of Jesus. And I think you hit at something uh, uh, very key there, Vincent, because I think most of our church members are here because they want to live out those core values. They might need some help. Some, that's right. Yeah, I need some help <laughs> seeing those things. But I think it's a great point. All right, let's, let's, we got a few more minutes here. Uh, let's let's talk as pastors. Uh, all three of us serve that role vocationally. Um, what would you say uh, as a pastor speaking into what's happening right now from a biblical framework uh, of how we move forward, try to bring some healing, some hope, some reconciliation, and then moving forward? Well, <clears throat> one of the things I said today, and I repeat, that has been really important is uh, Gospel of John 1, 5, and it says, well, the light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And I think as believers, we are the bearers of uh, the light of Jesus Christ, and it is our proactive leadership to get out in front of what's happening in our world to our people. People make up the church. People make up the society, people make up the community and everything that's happened, uh, God uses people, you know, so as Christian people, uh, we need to be the light and we need to set the tone, uh, be proactive, educate ourselves all the more, but, but stand up for righteousness and in righteousness is justice, Mm, uh, the justice that Jesus is all about. And so 
that's what I would hope. There's a lot of hurt people out there. There's a lot of frustrated people, and rightfully so. But what do you do with all that? I think you have to learn to channel it uh, because there's nothing like misplaced passion. Mm. That could be dangerous. Mm. And so we're seeing a lot of looting and rioting. And we love the fact that rioting in some aspects have gotten our attention. Um, but it's the positive protest that, that we should be focused on. And, and again, if, if you left it up to my opinion as a pastor, I would love to empower people, develop them. And if we're sending out people, we send out people who are equipped to go and handle a lot of what's going on. So churches need to get out in front of it, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. And piggyback on the rioting, there, there are some people who are rioting. There are some people that are protesting. Big, big difference. There, there are always wolves and tares amongst good things. Um, and those wolves and tares are not limited to a skin color. There are, there are white wolves, black wolves, Latino wolves, Asian wolves. There are people who are disrupting things and drawing the attention away. Um, as a pastor, one thing I was telling uh, Antonio uh, yesterday or the day before is, I said, brother, you know, I think that you've been, been called for such a time as this. As I was reading Esther, he chapter mentioned you four. in the sermon. You got a shout out in the go ahead, uh, brother. From I, stage, I, I appreciate it. Oh yeah, uh, let me get my point out, man. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so, but just looking at Esther four fourteen, you see her her uncle Mordecai saying, "Look, um, you know, how do you know that God has not put you in this position for such a time as this?" And there are some of us who are either in position or we're in close proximity to people in position. So we need. To, we need to say something. We can be quiet, but not silent. And when I say quiet, I mean be meek, be humble, be gentle, but don't be silent. Mm -hmm. We don't have that option as the body of Christ to be silent. And I think even what you're getting at right there is, is one, absolutely true, but two, our posture is really important, not just our position. And, you know, Proverbs says, soft answer turns away wrath. Uh, there's a, there's a de-escalating effect that responding yeah, uh, yeah, in, a, in a gospel posture can 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 have on some look and I y'all both I'll admit the fact too I was telling I was telling Shanna this a week or a week and a half ago as soon as as soon as the first protest breached the line in Minneapolis and then you saw the rioting and the looting and everything I said Shanna I'm telling you right now this the most tragic thing is everything we're about to hear from every, both sides of the aisle is just going to be on rioting it's going to take the center stage of the story. It's, it always happens. And we're going to lose sight of a bigger picture that we should be tackling. And I think we got to keep that in front of people, too. It's a distraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is nothing any of us here support. <laughs> I don't know anyone in their right mind that's a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter the color of their skin, that thinks looting and rioting. But, Antonio, to your point, I may phrase it differently. I don't love that rioting got our attention. I lament that it got our attention. But I know what you were saying is it got our attention. Yeah, that's all. And uh, and we needed our attention to, to be captured, but unfortunately, our, I think our attention has now been distracted to something to something else. Because why? I'm more likely to watch the news at night if there's riot footage than if they're a, a black man and a white man talking lovingly about how do we move forward. Mm. And that's what I'm hoping this conversation can do. Some if this is just this what we're doing right now is not a solution. It is an example of some friends that love each other just trying to talk, maybe even clumsily so, about the reality of what we're experiencing, uh, uh, asking some questions, and, and starting a platform through which hopefully we can, we can move forward. And let me say this to everybody who's listening. This is not a scripted conversation. 
we're just letting you guys listen in. That's right. And I, uh, look, I, I love both you guys. I'm appreciative of you guys, not just as pastors, but as husbands and fathers. You know, my household can tell you I need all the work I can get in that one. <laughs> so I've appreciated why, well, you know, uh, when, when Antonio and Tasha Vincent came over, I don't know, this is several months ago. And our kids played together for hours. We didn't even right. see them. I, half my house was destroyed. They were but, getting haircuts. <laughs> but you know what? Do you know what? That, that, they had a ball. You know, at, at some level, kids are kids. Mm-hmm. And they didn't see. They just played and had fun. And I remember sitting there that night going, "That if adults could just do that. Yeah, man. We, 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 could, we produce racist kids. Mm, mm, we yeah. do it. The kids don't do it. And and I remember, you know, Nolan, James asked about Nolan for weeks after that. You know, when's Nolan going to come back over? When, when you know, All these things. And so uh, those are little steps we can take to make it a little more normal for my kids, maybe a little more normal for your kids as well. But if we just, this is kind of my final word before you all speak, if we just look upstream, the problem's going to feel way too big. But just I would just say let's try. We can all jump in the river where we're at. And like you said, Vincent, that does look different for different people. But I don't think the point is having always the best strategy is just try to go swimming. That's it. Man. That's yeah, it. That's good Pastors, leaders, you know, I would encourage you to do something. Set the tone. Um, I've always heard this, like, like, peace, like pastor, like flock. So as a pastor, I set the tone. You know, I don't want to pass out any kind of generational hate or ignorance. And that the, uh, the gospel is the influencer. You know, when Dr. King uh, led the civil rights movement, there was rioting happening then. But there was gospel influence, gospel leadership in himself and his team of other pastors and leaders. And so, again, for a last word, remember the gospel and Jesus Christ preaching the gospel, gospel-centered Amen. leadership. That is Jesus the was the leader, really. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hey, guys, thanks for being here and taking the time to do this. Amen.